Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, welcome back to the Silver Fortune podcast. So there's a couple different things I want to talk about today. But as uh, the title of the podcast suggests, I want to start off with a question here about specifically precious metals and silver. Has the bottom been found for silver? Now, this would be one of you know many bottoms. We had a lower price earlier this year. I think it was the end of September, early October that we that we saw silver drop lower than it had uh, just this past Wednesday. But on this past Wednesday, post FOMC meeting, we saw silver. The price of silver drop to uh, I think the low that it touched was twenty one forty four on the Comex. You know, just minutes after the FOMC decision, which I'll talk more about later in this podcast, um, came out. Is that the low for silver? Now, I reserve the right, <laughs> like any of us, to, to change my projections over time. And, and for a while, I've been saying silver, don't be surprised if there's there's another bottom or don't be surprised if you see more weakness in silver heading into the end of the year. But usually it's mid-December that it turns around and then we have seasonality and some other things on its side that pushes it higher heading into a new year. We've seen this pattern kind of play out a couple times, actually. And and certainly what, what I said there would, would seem to line up pretty well with with what we're seeing play out because by the way, after silver bottomed out, it rebounded very nicely. In fact, I closed the week um almost a whole dollar higher around 2238 to close the week uh, for for spot silver and, and that would certainly seem to line up pretty well with with sort of the projections I'd made in the past that hey don't be surprised there's weakness but mid-december going forward expect some strength maybe after a bit of a bottom however here's the deal here's here's what I'm conflicted with and that could be totally right totally true I, I could have been right all along the thing that I'm conflicted about, is is what was mentioned in that meeting. And why did silver go up on that? First, it, it crashed, but why did it recover? Same thing goes with gold. Why did they recover pretty strongly afterwards? I don't think it was a simple uh, question of, of them being oversold. Uh, I, I think that maybe some traders realized that what the Fed had come out with on that day was not received... Uh, all that well by by analysts and pundits by the markets, as well as the Fed would have liked. The Fed, of course, coming out with a, a relatively hawkish projection of three rate hikes next year, three in the following year, to end their taper program by uh, March of, of 2022, uh, to, to combat inflation and, and, and some other things. That's that's sort of what they cited as their, their reasoning behind that. And, and I think... If anything, the precious metals having recovered so quickly, both silver and gold, you know, gold ending the week just below 1800. It's funny how it always, you know, ends right below those key levels. It's almost like, uh, you know, there's, there's some interest out there, uh, that, that, that would want to keep it below that level. Um, but, but as, as they end the week with it, with a nice rebound, is that signaling, well, from my perspective, a policy error, um, from the Federal Reserve, that they're tightening too much or projecting that, and that precious metals are pricing in now um, some some 
basically the Fed walking that back. Well, maybe not three rate hikes next year. That's not set in stone. We could just get two, maybe one, if, if you know, if the data six. This is what the Fed would probably say, at least. Is that what's happening? And, and that, again, would line up well with my projection of a low possibly occurring again in December with a strong rebound going into the next year. And then what we'd see in the coming weeks and months is the Fed continuing on this course for a little while longer and the stock market faltering. It did end the week down a little bit um, here on Friday, at least. Granted, it's still pretty darn close to, to all-time highs. So, I mean, who who really cares? But the Fed cares. The Fed cares, and they want the full support of the market, and they want the, the market to know that they have they have its back, right? I'm talking about the stock market, of course, but the, this plays into real estate markets and, and commercial real estate and uh, commercial debt markets uh, pretty heavily as well. Um, the Fed wants them to know that they have their back, and, and even this type of a falter could elicit a bit of a walk back from the Fed, but I don't think so. I think it would take a little bit more. The Fed is the Fed. Uh, Jerome Powell and company are not dumb in knowing that there are a lot of excesses in markets. I don't think they think that these stock market prices correspond well with reality or history. So, so maybe we see a bit of weakness in the stock market and then the Fed walks back their, their tightening and, and, and before you know it, this, this tightening is, is going to be slowing down and then eventually done. You know, maybe they finish the taper, but they maybe get one rate hike or something like that. Maybe two before the, before the stock market again throws a fit. Now, now here's my problem with that. I'm arguing with myself here, but I, I'm not convinced seeing what the Fed came out with this weekend or this during this week and, and seeing how precious metals and the stock market uh, responded, I'm not convinced that that necessarily will be the low in silver and in gold. The reason being is, is I do think that, that it is way too hawkish of a direction for the Fed to move in right now. Is it appropriate? Heck yeah. Um, but, but the problem with it is that if we were to actually get six rate hikes in the next 24 months, as well as the end of taper, the end of, or the end of the taper, the end of QE uh, by March, I, I don't think the stock market, the, the amount of debt in our economy, the real estate market, the corporate debt markets would be able to stomach those things actually coming to fruition. And, and I think that as we actually see some of that liquidity come out of the market because of the speeding, the, the quickening of the taper, I would expect the stock market to throw a fit in a big way. I'm talking a 10% plus correction. And that's what I think it will take for the Fed to actually start walking back some of, of this this tightening and, and soften their message a bit before ultimately uh, pivoting altogether. Now, as that relates to precious metals, I would expect... Now, in a perfect world, I would expect that if the stock market crashes 10, 15%, that would be a rally for precious metals because precious metals should be looking at that and saying, well, hey, the stock market's crashing. This is going to bring about intervention from the Fed or bring about, um, you know, walking back a softening of their, their hawkish stance. Hawkish. I mean, this, this Overton window has moved so far in the dovish direction when it comes to Fed policy, but relatively speaking, hawkish projections. 
they're going to walk it back and then and obviously that would mean weaker dollar and i'd be bullish for precious metals however we've seen time and time again that when the stock market falters when we see volatility spike when we see you know big down days in the market those can be gut-wrenching days for for precious metals or you know, some of you guys are, are looking at that with glee because you're, you're looking for those lower prices. Um, but that is sort of what I'm thinking that as we head into this new year, I'm thinking, and, and, and there could be something else that's a catalyst. You know, we, we got this Omicron virus, uh, or variant, um, spreading around. Um, we've got, you know, we've got Russia and, and, the EU or NATO playing games in, in Eastern Europe. Um, there's a lot of other things that could look like it's a spark. An energy crisis could look like it's the spark. Um, but, but I, I expect one of those two things to, 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 um, to kind of burst this bubble in the stock market to some extent. I'm not talking a full blown, um, mean reversion event necessarily. Uh, I think the Fed would would step in before the the stock market dropped more than 20%. And and then that's sort of off to the races for precious metals. But until that happens and and when it happens, I wouldn't be surprised if we found a new low in silver and gold. Uh, how low? Uh, $20 for silver maybe. Um for gold, uh you know, we could be looking um maybe back down around um I don't know. I mean, I, I, 1700 maybe. I mean, it's hard to say, really. Um, if we look, if we're looking at the bigger view here in gold, you know, we kind of have some support around 1760, um, 1720. So maybe somewhere in that range, 1720 is a low for gold. Although, you know, 1680, 1690 is, is, you know, some, some solid support back in that level as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see that play out, which again is going to be bad news for some of, some people that are that are more than ready for this market to take off but but i think a lot of people are also going to look at that and say well good i mean that gives me more time to buy because i'm not satisfied with with what i have yet you know moving on one other thing i want to talk about here real quick uh inflation is obviously a big theme here on on this podcast and it has been for a while even before we got some of this this numbers out of the cpi in the past you know 12 months of rising inflation i've talked about time and time again about how inflation before this and before COVID and all that was was much higher than what was reported by the bls uh much more in line with with what's reported by the uh by shadow stats using some of the old methodology for inflation um, not that that methodology is perfect, but but I think it's it certainly hasn't been manipulated as much as what the BLS uses. And and a lot of people have pointed to that inflation and said, well, hey, look, that's a lot of that supply chain, right? Look at the shortages we have. That's supply chain stuff, not inflation. And, and of course, myself and many others have come back and basically said that, hey, when you have high inflation, you end up with shortages oftentimes, not just because people are out there um looking to get rid of their paycheck as soon as possible and buying physical goods. But there are a lot of people that are out there. Um, when, when you look at the supply chain itself, when, when you have rising costs for labor and for energy, for transportation, um, for, for manufacturing, I mean, energy and labor play into all those things. Ultimately, um, you're going to, you're going to get, um, you're going to get supply chain problems. You're going to get shortages because of that inflation, right? You look at, um, uh, let's say, uh, um, 
supply chain and, and shipping, getting it from, from China to the United States and whatnot. And you say, well, you know, it's just because there's not enough, not enough containers, not enough truckers, not enough, uh, trucks, flatbeds. There's not enough, uh, whatever. And a lot of that might come down to worker shortages. But again, worker shortages are going to happen if you have an inflation of everything but wages or if wage inflation doesn't keep up with, uh, you know, inflation of everything else. Anyways, this is one of the extreme examples that we're seeing this this uh, Christmas season. Philadelphia, uh, the, the maker of Philadelphia cream cheese. They have a thing that they have, <laughs> a program that they're running this year. Um that they're paying out to, I think the number was 18,000 people that they'll be paying 20 bucks to if those people agree to basically make a dessert without cheese, without cream cheese in it or without cheesecake because of a shortage, right? They know that this shortage is happening and, and they're basically paying people to do something without cream cheese. It's ridiculous. And it's a new, it's this weird new normal that we live in where these shortages are expected by people. We know that it's not because of hoarding, you know, supply chain gets thrown around, but I think a lot of it does come down to inflation. And, uh, and, and, and this is one of the craziest examples I've seen yet. I, I thought it was just a gimmick or I thought it was some other kind of program, but ultimately it comes down to shortage of cream cheese and them offering people to bake something without cream cheese in it for this holiday. How crazy is that? Um, I, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, as we wrap this up down below in the comment section, leave, leave your craziest example of inflation that you've seen this year. I see them left and right all over, um, Twitter and elsewhere, uh, examples of shrinkflation, examples of people or companies, um, sizing up, for example, their box of cereal while also uh, decreasing the amount of cereal that's actually in the box. <laughs> the weight goes down, but the size of the, you know, the amount all of a sudden the box is taller, you see those left and right. Um, let me know down below in the comment section some of the craziest examples of inflation that you've seen uh, just in the past year or two. As always, though, I'd like to thank each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast, and God bless.